you've got to understand that ultimately, as an entrepreneur, the the buck stops with you, right? Like right. anything that happens in the business that you are building, it it's ultimately all on you, whether you have a team or not. Yeah. It's, it's for, just, all on you. I just want to say something to that that I think um, we haven't addressed yet. The name of this podcast is We Are Not Safe for Work. Oh, yeah, we haven't talked about that, have we? (laughs) But it just makes me realize, do you think for most true entrepreneurs, there comes a point when they are no longer safe for work? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I would be a terrible employee now because, I mean, like, let's be honest. I would be the bad apple in the bunch. Yeah. Because if anything, like, I – as an employee, I was an excellent employee. And do you know why? Why? Because I was a people pleaser. Oh. I bent over backwards to make things easier for everybody else, even if it meant it was going to be much more difficult for me. And it wasn't from an altruistic place. It was because I thought that's how you're supposed to be oh. in a corporate environment. I thought you were just supposed to do to make everybody else's jobs easier, right? So that's what I did. Did I complain about it? All the fucking time. Like, <laughs> I like, love that you were doing this thing, but you were complaining. All the time. The time. Yeah. Totally. I was complaining the whole time. My poor husband had to hear about like how my shitty coworker did this, this, and this, and then I ended up having to do this work. No, it wasn't that wasn't the scenario. The situation was they they asked for help and I just did it all instead of just helping or saying, no, I don't have the capacity. No was so hard for me to say for the longest time. And no is a complete sentence. No. You don't need yeah. to justify or explain. It's just no. Right. Well, today I was thinking we should do a little bit of a deep dive into how entrepreneurship isn't actually pretty. Like oh, the, it's it's a the ugly thing. side of it. Yeah, I think it is honestly the worst thing that you could ever do. I, right? <laughs> whenever I would um, teach blogging or I'd be brought up to give a, a speech about blogging at some conference or something, the first thing I always say is blogging is a terrible idea. I don't recommend that anyone do it. Please leave this room. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and then I would pause and get real quiet, and people were pretty sure what the hell was next, right? Right, so right. I would pause and wait for anyone to leave the room, and then say, all right, fine. If you want this, I'll tell you everything you want to know about it, but I don't recommend it at all. This is yeah. terrible. Don't do this. So, Well, there's just – it's such a glamorized – thing, right? Like everybody's like, oh, entrepreneurship is just, it's it's so fancy. And like, you have all this freedom and you're just like always happy, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like 
especially recently, it's really refreshing to see other entrepreneurs actually showing the the ugly side of what they're going through in terms of burnout and overwhelm and, you know, indecision, doubt, all that kind of stuff. Because I feel like even when big name entrepreneurs talk about it, it's still with a, a sense of like dazzle. You know, it's like, oh yeah, this was really hard for me, but look how I overcame it. Nobody's actually talking about, I'm still stuck in the messy middle of all of it because I really don't know what I'm fucking doing anymore. <laughs> Yeah. I, do you think that people see it as glamorous? I do. I really do because Ooh. I was that person. <laughs> you did? I yeah. thought entrepreneurship was super glamorous and that I, you know, all of my problems would be solved if I worked for myself. Right. I I don't even know what to say. I, it's been so long. I've been doing this for so long that I can't even remember what I thought about it. I thought that, you know, when I started it, I had been laid off from my corporate job and I didn't have any, I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't have any real good job opportunities. Um, I was kind of niched into something so super specific at that point mm -hmm. that it wasn't even what I went to school for. And I, I saw an opportunity to join someone in creating a stupid online thing, you know, a, a <laughs> social media company. And I did it. And my main thought was, I hate getting up in the mornings because whenever I have to get up early and I don't get enough sleep, I get a migraine. And so yeah. I thought to myself, if I can just not get a migraine, then everything else will be fine, which was the dumbest thought I've ever had in my life because I never, I didn't think to myself, Oh, I also need to make some money consistently. Um, so yeah, I definitely don't think it's glamorous at all. It's, it's terrible. Yeah. I mean, now I don't think it's glamorous. Now I, I know and understand and see it in other entrepreneurs or business owners, you know, how difficult it is, all of the different struggles that you go through, because most of it is a, I mean, not to be crude or anything, but it's a mental mindfuck, right? Like you, you go into entrepreneurship or working for a small business working with a small business, you go into it with like idealized, oh, this is going to be so great. We're going to work so well together and everything's just going to be really smooth and we're going to figure it out like peacefully, but that's not what happens. And there's just, there's a lot of mental endurance that you need to learn in order to be able to make it work. Well, and do you think that part of this is because we're sold the beauty of entrepreneurship because see, here's the thing about all of this that is kind of frustrating and also beautiful at the same time. If you want to start a, let's just talk about a side hustle for the sake of this conversation. Let's right. say you want to start a side hustle because most of the time people don't just quit their job and go, I'm going to go do this thing. Most responsible people say, I'm going to start a side hustle Mm -hmm. And I'm going to grow that side hustle until it pays me equal to my current salary. And then we're going to quit. That's at right. least what you and I have historically taught people to do back yeah. when we worked at the screw, right? Yep. So the problem is in order to sell the training for how to do the side hustle, 
you have to have some optimism in your advertising. Because yes. if you don't, then why would anybody ever buy the training on how to do the thing? And nobody wakes up and says, I know how to start a business or I know how to do all of the steps in a business. And I don't think that has happened since Little House on the Prairie because back then <laughs> you, you woke up and there were some chickens around you and you're like, hey, here's some eggs. Maybe I can sell them or eat right. them. You know? I don't know. I, I just, I think you have to go all the way back to we're being sold that this is a good thing, mm -hmm. that this is going to work. Here is your training on, because there is a business model in creating training on how to create training for how to <laughs> book ad. Yeah. No, you're totally right. Yeah. Right. Um, it feels almost like an MLM in a way. <laughs> yes, that's true. And I think that people, I, have you ever, one of the best things I ever went to in my entire life, the most fun I ever had was at a, not Melaleuca, what is that, what is that original MLM where they sold house products? Uh, Avon? No. No, no. Close. Um, mm. Oh, God. Tupperware? No, 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 no. Uh, maybe not that original, but back in the day, they would have these massive conferences. As far as I know, they still do. And you could go there and you could buy their, their cleaning supplies and their household items. Anyway, um, not Avon. See, now, I know, now I'm wondering I what it know. is. <laughs> uh, biggest MLM. Uh, Amway. 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 That's it. It was Amway. the other A. <laughs> yeah. One of the most fun things I ever did in my life was go to Amway meetings and Amway conferences. It was like going to church on steroids. And <laughs> it was so awesome. And people were so psyched. And they're like, I'm going to sell Amway and I'm going to get rich like these people on this stage. It's kind of like going to what we have funnel hacker live now in our circle mm -hmm. i never mm -hmm. went to funnel hacker live did you go have you been uh, i think I, I went to one. Oh, okay what was it like i mean pretty much yeah it it really was oh just to kind of segue a little bit um oh, so my husband and i had this conversation last night we were talking about um when i first moved to the United States from Australia, um, I moved to a town right outside of the Fort Worth area called Burleson. So, Burleson. Um, yeah. yeah. So at the time, it was still a very small town, you know, like everybody knew each other kind of town. Um, uh -huh. And I remember that like my friends had invited me to come to youth group on uh -huh. Wednesdays with yeah. them at their church. And I had never ever experienced anything like that. Like I, I was raised Catholic. So like old school, you go to a big, beautiful old church and then they, you know, you have your mass, which has prayers, you sit, you stand, you kneel, right. all that kind of stuff. Right. Formulaic. Just very, yes, exactly. Very formulaic. And then I, I attend this youth group um, event at a Baptist church and everyone's like, there's, there's songs and there's, you know, dancing. And then obviously there's, um, there's a preacher that does a sermon, a short one, uh, for the youth group, but mm -hmm. it actually really freaked me out. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> like how intense everybody was about Jesus. <laughs> so 
that's what funnel hacking reminded me of. Like it was a, it was like the youth group um, that I attended on steroids, you know, where everyone's like hands in the air and they're, you know, one hand in the air, one hand to their chest, like, just like, oh yes, praise, hallelujah, all that kind of stuff. And the energy is really fantastic. It's like high energy and you can't help but get caught up in it. But at the same time, you know, like after you, I, I call it the conference high, like after you drop from that conference high, you're kind of sitting there and you're like, what exactly was that? Like, what did I just experience? Right. Right. And I think that if you, if that's your introduction into entrepreneurship, yes. the letdown is severe because oh like gosh, this yes. year, I, I took off, um, I'm so fortunate. I took off New Year's day and I have worked literally Today is March the 3rd, and I have worked every single day since New Year's Day because our company's in crisis. And oh, my goodness. I know. There's nothing glamorous about that. And you know yeah. that I can promise you, I know we know Russell Bronson is the creator of, um, of uh, what's, the, what's the software? Uh, of, oh. <laughs> yeah, what is it called? You, I'm like, you ask me, ClickFunnels. You Click ask funnels. me, and it just like, it dropped out of my head. I could I see know. the logo. <laughs> think of now was the name of his conference funnel hackers right right for a fact i've seen enough of russell bronson's information online and videos and Mm -hmm. stuff like that that he's also had times where he worked nonstop like that too but i can promise you that he's not going to stand up on that stage at funnel hacker live and go guys i need you to know that about a year ago i didn't think click funnels was going to make it and i had Mm -hmm. to work for 45 days straight to save it yeah nobody says that Right. Yeah. Because that's not a good ad to sell click funnels. You want to sell click funnels to be the solution to not having to code your own funnel. So it has yeah. to be optimistic. And every time you start a business, a digital business, you have to buy a lot of tools. Mm-hmm. And so those tools have to advertise to us in a positive way. They can't say, ah, dude, I don't know if you buy ClickFunnels this month, I can honestly fucking tell you, I don't know if it's going to work or not. My name's Russell Brunson and I really, <laughs> you know, nobody's going to yeah. do that. Yeah, I think, uh, so I just want to clarify to your point, the fact that you were saying that Russell Brunson would not get on stage and say a year ago, you know, ClickFunnels was in crisis. I think- I think that is something that would be said, and this is a marketing tactic, it would be shared after it has been resolved. Nobody shares while they are in crisis. You know what I mean? Um, There was was a saying, um, I think it was, oh, I can't remember who said it, and I can't remember the exact quote. This is a terrible story, but- (laughs) we're talking about is complete like wait what was that called right yeah like what was it what was it no um it was something along the lines of you do not you do not help others from your open wounds you help others from your scars so it's only after you have healed can you go and help somebody else that may be going through the same thing that you went through recently right so um i don't remember if i heard that in therapy or somewhere else (laughs) I would say that's flawed in this case because it puts a scar puts a a scar 
is shiny. You know, have, you have any scars on your body? I have a, a shit ton of scars. Right. So, <laughs> I am a klutz. <laughs> right. Like I look at my scar on from my knee surgery that is the scar itself, I think is like 16 inches long, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's massive and it's thick, you know, and it's this, it, it raises up high and it's a massive, massive scar and it's shiny. Mm-hmm. Because my skin is shiny there. I wish my whole skin looked like that, but it doesn't. <laughs> I look like a burn victim. I don't know nothing against burn victims, but I guess we everything can't be shiny on your skin. Right. But the thing is, it's easy for me to point to that and go, yeah, you know, I got through this. But I think sometimes sharing the pain as it's happening is also incredibly valuable because Absolutely. you start to feel so isolated as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. If you don't yeah. have someone to talk to, if I didn't have someone to talk to as we're going through all of this pain mm-hmm. and the struggle, and listen, all we're doing, so I could clarify what everybody, so that I can share what we're dealing with, all we're doing is we hired new team members and we hired multiple people at the same time. And we thought we knew how to run this business, but we realized <laughs> everything was in our head. And then yep. when we sat down with the with my wife and I, when we sat down and said, okay, let's write down how to do this. We had, we were doing blogging completely different. So then we reached out to one of the existing team members and we said, how are you guys publishing stuff on our business? Their method was completely different than both of our methods. (laughs) So for the last 30 days, I've done nothing but try to document and merge and discuss each step. Mm-hmm. of a thousand step process you know yeah and making sure that we're all now doing it on the same way because then you have to hash it out whose way is better exactly yeah. and if i didn't have people to talk to along the way of actually doing it and then afterwards saying look at my beautiful processes and procedures right then it makes it look too easy to just yeah. show hey I, ha- I didn't have any processes and procedures and now i have some processes and procedures you can do it too that, mm-hmm. that i think is part of the problem here yeah. And and actually, now that you're talking about processes and procedures, so I have been going through that um, for one of my clients. Like I'm building out their operations catalog. So yeah. everything that I have built on the back end, the operational back end of their business, um, you know, I do recordings and show my process, show my logic. And just like you said, most of it is in my head. Like it makes sense to me inside of my brain space. Yes. And then when it comes to explaining it, it's almost you forget that things that come easily to you do not come easily to other people. So you really have to break it down into smaller, granular, like more easily digestible steps. So there is a a balance between figuring out how to explain your specific process and then figuring out how to make it accessible for everybody else. Because my definition is different from somebody else's definition, but we're talking about the same thing. (laughs) Oh, we literally spent four days. And I don't mean just four like casual days. I mean, we got up at 730 and worked till 930 at night for four days. And we did nothing but create terms and definitions. Yep. Yeah, that yes. is so important to do. And I think that's yeah. a step that's missed in a lot of, you know, operational, like on the operational back end. That's that's a step that's always missed because you just assume, well, I'm in the industry. You're in the industry. You should know what I mean by this. But different different companies call the same thing different things. <laughs> Absolutely. 
And it turns out that different people in the same organization call things different. Yes. Still managed to get things done. It's it's a miracle. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I don't even know if this is really relevant to your original topic, but I feel like glamorizing entrepreneurship happens by the pure nature of expressing it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that people understand the true loneliness or uh, struggles. Yeah. And and then on the flip side, I don't want to make it all sound terrible either. I mean, you're about to go on a vacation and you didn't ask anybody, right? I asked myself and myself said yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, see, totally. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there, there are definite advantages. I slept till 8.30 this morning because I wanted to. Yeah. Um, the end, you know. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, I mean, I so – yeah, not to sound all doom and gloom about it, because obviously there are so many upsides to entrepreneurship, but I think it's really important for people to realize and understand that it, it's not – like basically 95% of the time, it's going to be hard. You're going to be sludging through mud is what it feels like. But that 5%, even if it's a small percentage, that 5% where everything is – wonderful and just easy, like it makes that 95% of difficulty worth it. And I'm not saying it's 95% like hard where you want to give up constantly. I mean, you do want to give up constantly, but it's, it's not to the point that it's so depressing all the time, you know, like there's different levels of low, if that makes any sense. You know what I think about a lot when I think about this, especially as I've been going through this, I definitely draw from the stories of other people. Yeah. And I think about when Kate um, said something to me years ago. She talked about when they were growing EO Fire, they lived in San Diego at the time, and their apartment, she could see, I guess, the beach from her mm-hmm. apartment. And she would be there on a Sunday working all day long coincidentally her story was about processes and procedures uh, <laughs> on these things and she could literally see her parents walking down the walkway in front of her and her her family that she loves to spend time with she didn't live with them or anything but she she literally saw them walking by and she couldn't join them but she told herself that's okay because right now I'm doing this hard thing that most people will never do Mm-hmm. And as we now know, they lived the most amazing life of anyone I know. Yeah, yeah. Um, because she did that then, and I right. think about that story, and I and I draw from that because I think there is a time, as entrepreneurs, unless you've just created a job for yourself, right. there is a time when you will start having more freedom. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like for me, um, I left my corporate job in 2016. Um, I formed my company in 2014. So it took two mm. years. It it took me two years to build my business, my side hustle, to the point that I had matched my corporate income. And I felt comfortable enough and with the blessing of, you know, my husband after extensive discussion of, okay, well, how is health care going? Like how, how are oh, health yeah. benefits going to work? Mm-hmm. Because m- at the time, my health insurance was much better and especially because we had kids at the time too, like very young kids because my my daughters were born in 2011 and 2014. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, like they needed, we needed really good health insurance to be able to take them in because toddlers get sick a right. lot. <laughs> and, so do and, the that's, of toddlers. and so do the parents of toddlers. And so yeah. that was, that's part of what, you know, in my head, I had this idealized vision of, you know, I just had my second baby and this was 2014. I had just formed my company and I was on maternity leave. So I was like, oh, this is perfect because I can build my business and then I can spend all this time with my kids and I can just be there for them and it's going to be beautiful. And sure, that's that's where it is now, but we are in 2023. <laughs> And the idea I had was in 2014. I quit my job in 2016. So it's taken that long to be able to get to that point. And there's there's definitely a lot of like two steps forward, one step back is how it feels. It's like a dance, right? But every step forward is with the goal that I'm going to make it easier for my kids. Oh, (laughs) I don't know if you can hear that. I can. But that is my... By the way, tech. Uh-huh. Uh, I know we discussed tech last time. Yes. Um, but this is my dependence on technology. I need to have her remind me to eat lunch because I will continue working through. And the next thing I know, I'm looking up and I'm like, oh, it's time to pick up the kids from school. And all I have eaten today is coffee. That happened to me the Not other day. Anything, I it, it was nighttime and I had the worst stomach ache I've had in forever. I can't remember the last time I actually had just like a true stomach ache. Yeah, and I was like doubled over. I'm like, I am in so much pain. My stomach hurts so bad, Indy. I don't know if I need to go to the care now. I don't know what's going on. And she's like, well, oh what did gosh. you eat today? And I was like, eat. Nope. Didn't do that. <laughs> so she was like, here, let me give you this That's food. your problem there. <laughs> so I understand that. Oh, my goodness. But yeah, so that's, I mean, you know, just to kind of go back. one conversation about technology. That's how dependent I am on technology because I needed to use the tools at my disposal in order to be able to create a schedule that worked for me and worked for my children because they're in, they're involved in a lot of activities. And once again, that is the, that's the not pretty part of entrepreneurship because figuring out what that best schedule was going to be took a really long time. My daughter's about to walk in. You're going to hear a big crash. Okay. <laughs> so, the, and here's here's another <laughs> part of entrepreneurship when you have kids. Um, it was super glamorized to me because I, I would see, you know, on Instagram and, I mean, TikTok now. At the time, it wasn't TikTok. It was something else or whatever. But just on social media in general, you would see all these business owners that that have these, like, picture perfect. Oh, I'm on a picnic with my kids in a field and look how beautiful it is. So you think, oh, Mm -hmm. it's just so easy to do that all the time. But the reality is it's not. There are sacrifices that have to be made in the beginning in order to figure out that work-life integration. And I, I was always of the opinion that, okay, I worked, well, I didn't work a nine to five. I worked like an eight to six. (laughs) That's why I call it a corporate job. Yeah. Okay. Cor- yes, corporate. So in corporate, you have your office hours, right? And it's yeah. it is a, a block of time during the day, all consecutive, and that is what you're trained. That is what you learn, and that is what you 
bring into entrepreneurship because you do what you know. Right. And I always felt like I was doing something wrong when I tried to break up my workday in yeah. in terms of, oh, I'm going to work because I'm not an early person. Like I do not like calls before 10 a.m. Because Same. half the time I'm just cranky and I will just like sass anything you ask me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So – um, so in the mornings, if I am going to do any work, I like to do the things that don't need to involve anybody else. Like these these are the tasks that I just need to do and I can take care of and nobody needs to be notified about it. Nobody needs to be involved in this. Like if I have that dedicated time, then I'm going to do that. And then I'll go off and do school drop off. Um, I'll come home. I'll walk the dog. And, you know, that could be anywhere from an hour to maybe three hours right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It depends. And then I come back and I'm like, okay, now I have my focus time. And my focus time is two hours. I've blocked off two hours. Ideally, I like blocking off four hours of focus time. But that's once again, time. well, I, that's what I was going to say. Once again, it depends on my schedule. So I like looking at my schedule at the beginning of the week to figure out, do I need to do um, – the effective, which is the shorter focus times, or do I need to kind of bunch everything and try to do like a four-hour block because I need my Thursday and Friday a little bit more flexible or whatever it may be. But just the fact that sure. I can make those decisions and I can make those choices so that it fits with my lifestyle, not the other way around, not my work my life fitting in around work, right? right? Because that's what we're used to. Um, I always felt like I was doing something wrong. Like it it felt like I was doing something illegal. <laughs> you know, going to the grocery store at 10 o'clock in the morning and I'm like, I, I, I think someone's going to come up to me and be like, shouldn't you be at work? Like I felt like I would get in trouble. <laughs> you know what's funny about that? Uh, just a little aside about that. When COVID happened, and everybody started working from home. I was so offended because I had a perfect life like you where oh I would God. go to the grocery store on a Tuesday, uh -huh. right? And it would be nobody there. And right. now there's no rules anymore about when people are at work. And I'm all like, can't you people go get a job? What are you doing here? <laughs> this is my time to be at the grocery store. This is entrepreneur right. time to be at the grocery yes. store. Yes. And yes. now traffic, there's no traffic patterns. Mm -hmm. It's very annoying. And... um. I just don't think it's right. If you're going to have a corporate job, just go go do your thing and let me have some time. Because <laughs> I'm going to be working when you're not, you know? Right, so right. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I get my second wind in the evenings too. So um, typically like my, my brain capacity, my decision-making capacity is spent by 2 o'clock. Like 2 o'clock is stretching it too. Mm -hmm. But that's why I try to make all of my – big decisions much earlier in the day because yeah. I know myself now, I didn't know before, but now, now I know, okay, I need to work during the times that are optimal for me, not during the times that everybody else says is the optimal work time because that doesn't work for me. And I think that's something that should always be expressed or explained or, you know, people should just be made aware that you don't have to follow the rules of everybody else when it comes to entrepreneurship. Like the whole point is so that you can optimize your own capacity 
So if your capacity to work is only four hours a day, then you do that. Like that's that's what you do. But if those four hours are incredibly efficient, you get shit done and you get you get meaningful stuff done, then four hours is all you need. Like the eight-hour workday is so antiquated because you fill that space or you fill that time with, you know, well, isn't bullshit it work. Is it Parkinson's law? That a task expands to the time allotted. I don't know which law it is, but yeah, something yes. like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that I think you're absolutely right. So, do you think there is like if you were talking to someone new, let's say that someone came in and joined our podcast and they were thinking of going into entrepreneurship, what is the first thing that you would advise them or question that you would ask them? Well, the first thing that I normally ask people is, where's your mind at? Like, how is your mindset? <laughs> how is your mental resilience? Because that is, I feel like that is something that you need to know about yourself before jumping into any sort of entrepreneurship. If you come into the business or if you come into the industry and you have like a really negative mindset and you're just like, well, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't have this. I don't have that. Like if you're just like, no, 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 then yeah, you're you're not going to succeed because you need to be in a positive mindset or at the very least be able to switch out of it in order to make it because nobody, there's nobody telling you what you what you need to do and when. It's all internal. You set your own deadlines. You set your own goals. Nobody's telling you you have to achieve this goal by this date or you need to complete this task by this date. You are you are doing it on your own. So if you're a negative Nancy, you're just going to keep procrastinating, which is me. Well, you're. I feel like you're <laughs> complaining too. That um, and, and you're, I think you're combining two things. By the way, it sounds like you're. I probably am. Yeah. <laughs> attitude, but also being self-driven. Yes. Because like you said, yeah. if you can't complete things in a time, you know, the first thing that I ask people is, do you have any money? Because oh, no, yeah, think about it. I have I feel like these it, most people have this unrealistic idea that they're going to start a business and then next week they're going to start making a living. Mm, yeah. Got to spend but money I, to make money, baby. Well, that's <laughs> true. But also you got to live until your business makes money. So you got to make a living. I think that a lot of people get into a panic mode because they think they have a really good business idea and maybe they do. Maybe it's fucking mm -hmm. amazing, but it takes time to make money. So therefore, if you're not making a living in the paying your bills in the meantime, then everybody starts to panic. And then that panic yeah. leads to bad decisions that leads to burnout. Right. And so I feel like I feel like it starts with, yes, you're not wrong. I feel like it starts with multiple things at once. The thing yeah, you just brought yeah. up and can how are you going to survive until your business makes money? Mm -hmm. And yeah, like don't just like people, don't go quit your job right away because <laughs> I think that's something that's often told. Like, oh, you need to go all in and commit. So quit your job so you can go all in on your side hustle or whatever. Yeah. And I feel like that's terrible advice. If you um, if your business model involves a launch, so let's say it's a course, 
you're mm-hmm. going to create a course on how to um, do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, do X, Y, and Z. And you have a, it's a side hustle and you have a positive launch and you made some good money. That's awesome. But that doesn't mean your second and your third launch are going to be as profitable until you really mm-hmm. know that you really have this nailed down. Don't quit your job on the first one. Right. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Um, I, I mean, maybe we're also thinking about the things that we were advised when we were starting out. So it may be very different. It may be a very yeah. different landscape now, especially with the shift of, you know, after COVID happened and people were working from home and trying to figure out different ways of making additional money because now they're working from home and, you know, they for time. they had more time. And for some people, um, working from home made them way more efficient at their existing jobs. So now they had free time or not free time, but, you know, they had all this extra time because they've completed their their work tasks. And do you know why some people did so much better working from home? Because they don't have the distractions of the office. I know that when I go into an office, so I have clients, I have um, local clients that have office spaces. When I go into their offices, for me personally, that's my social time. Like that's my time to kind of chat with them. It's my water cooler time, right? Yeah. But when I don't have those constant interruptions, and and I think that was the reason why for the longest time I was working so many hours and I always thought, oh, well, it's because I'm a hard worker. You know, I am such a hard worker. I work longer hours than everybody else. No, it's just I had constant interruptions and distractions, which made my task 10 times longer than it should have been. So... On the days where people didn't know that I was actually in the office because my suite was on a different floor. So if they thought that I wasn't in the office, I got so much done and I would feel so accomplished, you know, and it's so proud of myself. But I didn't realize until way later down the line that, well, the reason that I was so productive and successful is because I didn't have somebody knocking at my door or coming to my desk every 15 minutes interrupting me. And then once they leave, I have to reset to try to get back into the task that I was working on. Yeah. That's weird. That's interesting. (laughs) Working is a weird thing, especially like you, like you said, um, you know, also getting things accomplished in an environment like that is also socially driven. So going back to what you said earlier, can you get things done if no one is telling you to do it? Right. Yes. Because there's a lot of social pressure that we rely on as a society. Nobody mm-hmm. would stop at a stop sign if they knew for a fact that nobody was going to be around them for three miles. Right. You know, so. Yeah. Um, it's also the shopping cart theory, right? Oh, tell me. Well, the shopping cart theory is, um, I mean, they say that it was a social experiment. I don't think it was a social experiment. I think it's just been conflated into that. But um, the people that – like nobody – you're not forced to put your shopping cart back into the corral after you use it. There's nobody policing that. Nobody's telling right. you you have to do this. You don't get fined if you don't do it. You do it because you want to be a decent person and you don't want to leave that shit in the middle of a parking spot for the next person to hit or for the cart to be blown by the wind into somebody else's car. You know, like, 
you do that because you want to be a good person. You you want to be a contributing member of society. Nobody's telling you it has to be done. You just do it. You just do it. Yeah. Now there are people that don't and that's fine too, but once again, it's self-driven. Nobody is forcing you to do anything. You have chosen to do or not do that thing. <laughs> that's right. Which I guess is why Aldi figured out the quarter. <laughs> right. Right? Yep. That quarter is highly motivating. But you know what? It's funny to me. It's not. Have you ever been to Aldi? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. So I don't really care about getting the quarter back, but I care a hell of a lot about having that buggy, you know, that, that shopping cart. So mm-hmm. I need the quarter to get the, the cart. And if I yeah. don't put the cart back, I'm kind of obsessive about putting the cart back anyway because I hate people's cars getting dinged. But yeah, if I don't put the cart back to get my quarter back and put that quarter in that spot in my car, then I know next time I go to Aldi, I won't be able to get a cart because I won't have my quarter. Because mm-hmm. I never have money anymore, like real money. Um, right. Yeah. Like so, no cash. Like quarter, exactly. That quarter has become incredibly important in my So much so that we got a new car and my new car doesn't have a quarter. And I keep forgetting to put a quarter in that new car. <laughs> now I drive my old car to the grocery store because it has the quarter. Oh, my goodness. That's so yeah. funny. So. <laughs> oh, I love how you've adjusted. Like instead of just finding another quarter to put in your new car. You're like, no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to bring the other car. <laughs> yeah, I'll bring the other car. Cause it has the quarter. Oh my God. <laughs> and, yeah, I know it's ridiculous, but it's just the truth. No, we, we all do stuff like that, but yeah, I mean, just to kind of go back to your point that how self-driven are you that I think that is a question that you need to ask yourself um, when going into or considering starting your own business or whatever it may be, starting a side hustle, just how self-driven are you and how how quickly do you think you could change to become more self-driven? Because I'm not saying that if you're not self-driven now, you shouldn't do it. It's It's about personal development, right? Like, okay, if right now in this moment you discover – yeah, I'm really not self-driven. I am kind of negative. Um, I already I already have in my head that this isn't going to work out. But you have the drive, the internal drive, once again, to change that about yourself. Or that makes it sound like you're trying to change your personality. But improve. Like if you make the effort to improve or is there, become people, that. Do people change or improve though? Or do they find a different way to motivate themselves? And here's what I mean. It's like. You know what? Yeah, you're right. Yes. Because Continue. like Andy, Andy came into, joined me in Cooking Chew. She left her job, even though she still has freelance clients for healthcare. That's a com- different conversation. Um, yeah. She left her job to come join me in Cooking Chew because she liked the idea of the freedom, right? And plus it was mm-hmm. always the plan. But she is completely deadline driven, but the deadline has to be from an external source. So she has really struggled to know that the deadlines come from us. Mm -hmm. But now she, so it took her about a year. And it's funny because now um, she is somehow 
clicked in her brain that there is nothing on this planet, nothing at all, that is more important than getting a certain amount of published articles published at the end of every single day to where she will she will move mountains to wow. get those articles published. So much so that sometimes I'm like, we can't publish today because there's something wrong. And she's like, I don't yeah. give a shit. We're publishing and you can fix it later. But it took her a good solid almost a year to get that internal switch. It's mm -hmm. not like she changed, just something about it. I think it's finally clicked with her that if we're not publishing articles, we don't make money. And if we don't make money, then she can't have the things that she wants, you know? Right, and right. So something just finally switched, but it nothing about her personality changed. She just finally associated publishing to something that is critically important to her. Mm -hmm. Does that make no, sense? you're right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like it okay. totally makes sense because she has found what motivates her and, and I mean, essentially she's figured out like a way to make a deadline seem like it was externally, um, like externally created, right? Yeah, because basically she says Google's going to hate us if we don't publish these articles. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's that's a brilliant way of of looking at it because I never thought about it until you just explained it that way. So no, you're right. Like when you find out your motivation, you figure out how to make that work for you. Right. Because she didn't change. Her personality didn't change. Right. She didn't necessarily, sounds terrible to say, but she didn't grow as a person. She just figured out. Of course out. she did. She grew oh, as a person, just not not in the way that we are used to defining. You know, it goes right. back to the whole definitions, right? Like yeah, what is exactly. your definition of, of personal growth versus my definition of personal growth? It's we're using the same words, but our definitions yeah. are different. <laughs> well, I guess I think about it like um, I don't go to the gym. I don't work out consistently. But – would I, if Jesus came down and looked at me in the eyes and said, Renee, if you don't start working out every day, everyone you know is going to die tomorrow. Oof. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm just trying to think yeah. of the most extreme thing. Yeah, I right, right. Yeah. But everyone I know is going to die if I don't go to the gym. Then I'm mm -hmm. probably going to go to the gym, but I'm not going to go to the gym because I suddenly became a gym rat. I'm going to come to go to the gym because the um, consequences of that are pretty fucking bad, right? Right. So, yeah. So I guess I'm asking you because this is where you know a lot more about humanity than I do. Do you think people's personalities change or do you think that the motivations surrounding the person change? I don't know. I'm just curious. I don't – I mean, I – or I am a Pollyanna, <laughs> I was going to say. You know, I look at things with rose-colored glasses, and I believe in the best in people, no matter how shitty they are. I mean, there are some pretty shitty people, but I have hope that they have the capacity to change or to understand or to empathize. I, I just – I have hope. Is what it comes down to. I don't know if I believe that an, a, anyone can change or whatever. I hope that everyone can change. Well, I have an interesting, I don't know the answer to this, but an interesting way to bring this back to entrepreneurship. Um, you know, those person, the personality types, right? Like INFJ, uh -huh. all of that. Do people's 
personality if if you take a personality test every year does your personality change or do you keep with the same one for the most part do you know what people end up doing do you happen to know i'm sure there's a study on that there is a study on that um well and especially something like oh what is it called like the 16 personalities test um you know where you find out if you're enfp or enfj or infp whatever it may be right Mm -hmm. um so I know that there I'm I need to find the source for it because I don't like saying things with especially if they're scientific studies. Well, how um about you heard a story once. I heard I've I I remember reading something. There you go. <laughs> where um depending on the stage of life somebody takes that test, um there are subtle changes. So the more in-depth the personality test, the more obvious those changes are. But if you take a generic one, you know, where it's like, here's 20 questions that you have to yeah. answer and it doesn't get into like the the specifics of, you know, are you more empathic or are you more compassionate or whatever it may be, um, you won't see those changes like presented in a metric. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? So if it's if it's a more generalized personality test, then you're not going to see a change. You're going to consistently get the same answer. But if you take the more in-depth ones, your there are specific parts of your personality that do end up changing. And it it may be a small nuanced change, but it is enough. It's it's a it's enough of a change to show that, okay, something happened where their opinion or their approach changed right here. Do you think since you, okay, you started, you left your corporate job, what year did you say? 2014? 2016. 2016. Do you think that your perspective on business has changed since then? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you think your personality has changed since then? I think it has, yes. How definitely. So? Just the fact that, you know, from if if I look back at like 2016 or even before, like let's let's call it 2014 Naja. If I look back and she was a different person or outside of me, right? So I would probably describe her as Entitled. Oh, interesting. Yes. I I would describe her as selfish. Really? And and unable to see the bigger picture. That is because the opposite of the Nadja that I know. <laughs> well, no, because like when I worked in a corporate office, my goal was always how do I make myself look better? How do I make myself look better so I get a raise? How do I make myself look better so that I look like the harder worker? How do I make myself look better in front of my peers? You know, like that was that was my approach to everything. And I never thought about I I was, I mean, I still am a little bit of a justice warrior. So if I saw somebody being treated or what I thought was being treated unfairly, you know, I would just be like, oh, well, I don't understand why the manager is coming down so hard on this person, you know, like they don't know what's going on in their life, blah, 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 blah. 
What I did not know was from a business owner standpoint, there were certain things that they were looking at, like performance-wise. Okay, this person is not meeting the same goals as everybody else. Like they're not they're not scheduling as many appointments. They're not checking as many um, patient files. Um, they're they're taking too long on the insurance calls. Um, they don't have great customer service, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like they don't have a great customer service approach. So they're looking at it from like, from a business standpoint, this is the reason why this employee isn't working. And I'm looking at it from a, well, this person is really nice to me. <laughs> so I don't well, understand why they're being so hard on them. <laughs> isn't it funny how that changes everything? It does. Yeah. Because now my approach to everything, and, and I tell I tell my team this all the time, is business is business, personal is personal. Like if we cannot separate the business from the personal, we, we need to really think about if we should be working together. Because, you know, like business owner Nadja is going to be looking at things very differently from you know, your friend, Naja. Now, I will take the two into account and I try to approach things with a lens of compassion and empathy. But at the same time, like if it's going to affect the business in a negative way, that's just, that's going to have to be a hard decision and a hard discussion that we're going to have. Well, and you know, the funny thing about that, I talk about this quite a bit um, with my mom, actually. Um when we, the more that you get to know the people that you work with, like your team members and that such, mm-hmm. the more that you care for them, the more Absolutely. that you have to care for the business. Because if the business, like like I right now, you know, our business pays for eight families. Right. The families of the freelancers. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we have freelancers for the, for the sake of conversation, work for us full time from the money that they earn from us. Right. Even right. They're just freelancers. So eight families plus the families of the freelancers. Yep. And if one person on the team is messing up the revenue for all of those families, then you have yeah. to address that. Because exactly. otherwise you, you're like, man, that's the nicest, funniest, funnest person I ever known. And I don't mm-hmm. ever want to give them a hard time or fire them. But if I don't, then I'm going to have to let all of these people go which means right. all of these families. So there's constantly that balance of, I love this person so much, but holy shit, they're fucking up the business so bad. You yeah. Um, and that sucks too, because that's part of entrepreneurship as well. Yeah, that's part of the ugly, messy part of entrepreneurship that nobody really talks about because, yeah, you're right. You you care for your team members. And I know that when you go into like – like if you go into a corporate environment and the first thing they say is, oh, we're like family here. Like that is a huge red flag in the corporate world, right? And the reason it's a huge red flag is because they are using, I mean, I'm sure it's not intentional, but what ends up happening is it's almost like an emotional blackmail. It's emotional manipulation because they're saying, we treat each other like family here. Would you would you tell your family member, oh, I can't work, I can't take your shift this weekend because I have other plans? You know, like, would you say that to a family member who's asking you, can you take my shift because I want to do this, this, and this with my family or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so there's almost like a level of 
emotional manipulation there. But with a small business that, like when I talk about corporations, I'm talking about like multi-million dollar corporations that have 50 plus employees and, you know, like it, it they have multiple products and locations or whatever. Like I'm talking right. like big businesses. Right. Um, but like with small businesses, it is difficult to separate the personal and business because they're so closely integrated. But if you personally care about that team member that is affecting your business, wouldn't wouldn't don't you think that they would want to know too? Well, especially if you're like family, because you don't want exactly. to exactly right. That, yeah, so that goes both ways. If we're like family here, then we got to be like a family because sometimes a family has to come together and say, "Yo, this house is a wreck." You know, yeah. Um, do yeah. You need, to go? You need to go? No, no, no. Oh, okay. She just she keeps opening the door. That's what the the ringing bells are oh. when the front door opens. Okay. I have uh, bells on my front door. She keeps forgetting that uh, <laughs> I want to call. So the reason, by the way, it is a Friday. It is a Friday afternoon. My yeah. daughter is home, and the reason she is home is because last night we went to the rodeo. It's the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo, uh -huh. um, and we went to a concert on a school night. The The performer was Lauren Daigle. She's a um, contemporary Christian um, music artist. Yeah. Okay. Sure. And um, the girls love her. They love her songs. So we were like, okay, well, you can go because my husband, you know, he does the lights for rodeo. So right. we can go. <laughs> yeah, totally. But we got home so late last night. It was after midnight by the time we got home. And the girls were super tired. And so this morning, you know, this is part of – actually, this is part of entrepreneurship and, like, what we're trying to teach our kids, too, is that their mental well-being is just as important as their physical well-being. So because the younger one was super tired, like, she was very whiny and cranky and just, you know, like, my stomach hurts. I don't feel good. Like, I'm still very tired. We just decided, you know – maybe take a personal day so you can rest, like sleep a little bit longer. So she went back to bed. Um, she woke up much later uh, and now she's playing outside. And I think that's, I think that's fine. I'm probably going to get people judging my parenting style. <laughs> well, I do have two questions. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, okay. Um, the first one is if you still, if you still had a corporate job and this happened, oh, Hell no. <laughs> what would you do? Well, how would you well, have it? This wouldn't have happened in the first well, place no, if no, I still had a corporate job. <laughs> she woke up in the morning for whatever reason. Let's just say there was the, the tornadoes flew through your mm -hmm. area instead of mine. And everybody was up all night. Yep. And she wakes up and she's super tired. As a corporate, with corporate jobs, you may have been like, honey, I'm sorry, but you have to go to school. Absolutely. Yeah. She would have gone to school. I may have sent a note with with her to give to her teacher that, you know, she didn't sleep well last night. So she may be a little cranky and tired or whatever. But yeah, I, I wouldn't have kept her home because then that would have meant I needed to stay home. And my PTO days are like gold, you know, like you don't right. want to use them on frivolous – well, what what could be considered frivolous thing. And Mental health, I mean, just to be really honest about it, like it is not important in the corporate world. 
it it may be starting to change now, but you know, back when I was in there, your mental if you said I'm feeling really overwhelmed, I just need a day to stay home, like that was not an acceptable reason to skip work. So you had to say I'm sick today. <laughs> Well, and you know, you're married, so you you have a slight advantage too because you you have an incredible husband. And it's true. I probably would have had the conversation of which one of us would have stayed home with her, which one of us could afford to lose the PTO day, right? Mhm. Yeah. yeah so that that, that or um because like you said, I have an incredible support system. I'm so so fortunate and grateful that I have a support system to help raise my kids like yeah, if if I wanted to keep her home from school, I could have asked my mom, you know, if yeah, she true. was working because if she wasn't working, then I could have asked her, "Hey, do you mind coming over and watching her or do you mind if I take her over to your house or whatever?" Because I would I would rather sacrifice like coming in late than taking mm-hmm. the whole day off. Right. But but yeah, you're absolutely right. My approach would have been so much more different if I was still working in a corporate office. Right. So this is one of the advantages of entrepreneurship is Absolutely. that you have to make the decision to go to the concert in the first place. And then mm-hmm. you got to make the decision the next day. Now let's go to my second question because I just <laughs> I don't have school post COVID. You know, my kids right. gone now. She's she's grown. Yeah. Um in school you don't get PTO days, you get Mm-mm. sick days. So the only well, you get excused absences is what you get. Right. Okay. Whatever you want to. Okay. Great. <laughs> well, excused absences. So uh-huh. is an excused absence. I was at a concert too late last night, and I I feel like I can't handle school today. Nope. This would be considered an unexcused absence unless I somehow could send in a doctor's note. <laughs> right. Okay. Which which I mean, let's be honest. I I could get. I could get my pediatrician oh, to write could. a note. You yeah. could. That's I could. You have it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Do. <laughs> and, and if you're listening to this and you're curious what that's about, many of her clients are doctors. So Yes. Yes. That's <laughs> advantage in this conversation. But here's where I'm thinking about this is that we're talking about the importance of having freedom to make mental health decisions for you, your day as an adult. Mm-hmm. But we train our kids that the only excused absence from school is if you have a doctor's note. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So now, I mean, we, we have to understand that we have to unlearn a lot of things. In, right. In yeah. So that's actually um, that's something that we have been teaching our kids. So um, we we do our best. I mean, I know all parents do what they can with the knowledge that they have. All of us are just winging it. Like none of us know what we're doing. We're just like, oh, I will try this and see if it sticks or whatever. Right. But, um, so I, I, the way I grew up my childhood, I was, I'm the only girl, I'm the oldest. And I, I was brought up with a very Filipino Asian background. So I, had a very strict parents. Um, there was there were a lot of things that I just couldn't do. I wasn't allowed to, but my brothers could. Like they got away with so much more stuff than I did. I basically became the third parent because they would do shit that they didn't really get in trouble for. You know, like maybe they'd get a oh well, don't do that again. That was dumb or whatever. 
But then I would come along, hear what happened, and I'm like, no, you are going to get a lecture. Like, I'm going to tell you why this was wrong. I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't do it again. These are the consequences that could have happened or did happen. <laughs> so, so this I, is I essentially – is this it's Australian? a cultural thing. I'm going to ask a really dumb No, question. it's not Australian. It is a it is an Asian thing. I, I mean, I ask – Yes. Yeah. <laughs> ask other Asians um, in their 30s, like, how they were raised, and you'll probably get a lot of the same responses. There was just not very open communication. Like, you just don't talk about things. Things were um, – it was do this because I said so, or you can't do this because I said so. You know, the thing is, hold on, hold on. I know parents from our generation, and I'm even older than you, so I can say a generation back, but that we got a lot of that. You and I got a lot of that growing up. But to mm -hmm. be fair, if you have, let's say that you have two parents at home, if you're fortunate enough to have two parents at home, both of those right. parents work a full-time job, and they have to go to the grocery store, and they have to cook the food, and they have to mm -hmm. wash the sheets, and they have to buy the toilet paper from the store. Um, there's not a lot of time left to explain to your kid why something needs to happen. Right. So, well, it, are you sure? Is there well, not enough time? <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I'm just trying to give people a break, but yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But I feel like with entrepreneurship, bringing this back to the, I think entrepreneurs make better parents because they have more time to explain themselves to their children. Yeah. Um, no, I, I just think, um, I don't know if it's a, I guess you can say it's a generational thing. I said that, but I was thinking, <laughs> but, um, just kidding. But I think the more procedures you write, the better you get at explaining to kids. No, absolutely. Yeah. When you're forced to do that in, in your work and, and that's the other thing. So maybe not just entrepreneurs, but people that work any sort of like operational position, right? Sure. So if you work in operations and you're having to manage multiple personalities and you're having to make sure that you have very clear instructions for every single person who have different learning styles, you do become a better parent because you've got that practice in the workplace. Yeah, I think so. In terms of explaining and breaking things down so that it's simple to understand no matter the level of skill or level of comprehension that somebody has. Um, yeah, I think like if that is something that you do in work, no, whether it's in an office or in retail or as an entrepreneur, like if that is just part of your job description, you do become a better parent uh, yes because of communication and I think that's what it comes down to like I think you and I have talked about this many many times before but like a lot of the world's problems I think could be solved if people just fucking talk to each other like honestly yeah. so just just say what you want to say and mean what you say and then have a very clear and open discussion about it. Like no judgments or anything like that. Like this is how I feel and this is how your actions have made me feel. But mm -hmm. that's very diplomatic, right? But that's not reality. The reality is something happens and you are, I hate the word triggered, but you are triggered and so you become immediately defensive, right? That's yeah. usually the process. And so when, because I, I will admit like, I do that all the time with my kids. 
But I recognize that I've done that. Like I've had a knee-jerk reaction and now I'm just yelling at them. And I like I'll calm myself down and I'll turn around and apologize for my, you know, my outburst and then explain to them this is this is why I got so frustrated. This is, you know, it wasn't what it wasn't exactly what you guys did or said or whatever it was. It's because I had all this other stuff going on before that happened and that was just the thing that tipped me over the edge. So I try to explain it to them. But I also try to have them tell me, like, does that make sense? Do you understand, like, where where I'm coming oh. from? And if they say no, then, you know, I open the floor and I say, okay, ask me questions. Yeah. Like, what don't you get? <laughs> so going back to your corporate job and when you were – you would see a boss come down on someone – and you were judging it from your internal perspective at that time mm-hmm. because you were just an employee. Yep. What do you think that a boss should do differently in those circumstances? Should they gather the team and s- explain themselves? I mean, I think that that's a great idea. Like transparency just in general is something that management should be doing. So I also think compassion comes a long mm-hmm. way in terms of maybe don't like rain down on that person in front of everybody else because that's embarrassing you know like that's sure yeah that's something that if if i am saying why is why is the manager being so mean to that employee you know it's because they're doing it in public but if it's a private conversation that's a different story because then it's up to that employee like if that employee decides to share oh management was like shitting on me today okay well they share that was their story to share. That wasn't something that management had done and exposed it to everyone um, because they couldn't control their temper, you know. Uh, so, it, I guess that's that's just what I'm. My, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Basically, have compassion. <laughs> well, it makes me think. Well, the reason I asked this question is because I'm going back to what you said earlier about we're a family here. And that's uh-huh. a bad phrase, and we understand all the negative that that means in a business environment. But you just said something that I think would actually be a better phrase to say, we're transparent here. Yes. Yeah. We're compassionate here. Mm-hmm. Because compassion yeah. and transparency don't mean the same thing as family. It's just no. that I think that what people, when they say we're a family here, I think what they're trying to say is perhaps compassion and transparency. Maybe right. not. Maybe I'm giving people yeah. too much credit. But, because um, you know, I had a situation yesterday um, where we're, like I said earlier, we're working on our processes and procedures. And I brought Tabitha. Tabitha is here in person with me, and the rest of my team is remote. And we had a new procedure, and I was seeing it on the site, ready to, on an article that was ready to publish. And Tabitha said, I don't think this is in the right place. Is She asked me, and I said, no, it's not in the right place. I know what the process said, but now that I'm seeing it visually, I really want it to be somewhere different. And can you relay that to the content manager? So she, who nobody even knows that she's working in this process at all, I asked her to tell the manager something, and the manager comes back to her and says, no, no, this is how I want it to be. And I said, no, tell her that Renee said, tell him that Renee said to do this thing. So, and all of this was in public. 
And I really fucked up because what I should have done was stopped and first of all said, this is the content manager. This is a decision that he's made. So if I don't like his decision, I should go and talk to him privately. But I was in such a hurry because a tornado was coming that I said, no, tap of the police tell this thing as we're running into the hall or into the closet. But, and I handled it all wrong. Um, because I was treating it like a family more than the business, maybe. Yeah, but I mean, but think about what you're doing now is you are reflecting back on something that had happened yeah. and you're thinking about how to change that approach the next time something like that happens. And that, I mean, that situation that you just described, that is something that you can go back and say exactly what you just said. Like, I should have been more transparent. Um, I should have, I should have communicated more that this is what was happening personally, which is why the message was being conveyed in this way. But, you know, it it helps to relieve that whole thought process of nobody know, like the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. Right. So, yeah. yeah. It, and it's because it, it, there's transparency there, but also there's that sense of, um, I guess, maybe the in terms of like how it was being received, we don't know or we can't control how other people react to the things that we say and do, right? That's something right. that is completely out of our control. But we can control how we react to their reaction. Yes. Yes. Very and that is fun. something that we can control and change and, you know, adjust, not necessarily change. We can adjust to that approach or whatever it may be. But um, no, like, I think you saying instead of corporations, instead of businesses saying that we are a family here, saying that we we have compassion and, um, and empathy, transparency, if we have compassion and transparency here, I think that is way better than saying we are family. Yeah. Because we don't know. Some people may have really shitty families and then they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to work here <laughs> if, you, if right. you're going to treat me like family. <laughs> And, you know, when we think of families, we often think of dysfunction. Dysfunction. <laughs> Absolutely. Family, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I don't know if family is a good thing to bring into the business world or not. And, yeah. And, I mean, we've been part of a business family before together that was highly dysfunctional. Yeah. And it's not always the right way to approach it. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to get into but that. Once, but. Well, I was going to say once again, but people learn and change based on the experiences. So sometimes the shitty scenarios have to happen in order for us to adjust and learn from it and then approach the next situation in a less shitty way. <laughs> right. The next family in a better method. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't know. So – Starting, going back to how you started this, you wanted to talk about how being an entrepreneur is not overly glamorous, mm -mm. but sometimes it's sold that way. And I thought yeah. it started with literally being sold that way. Yeah. Um, but do you think that entrepreneurship is also beautiful? Oh, yes. A thousand percent. Like I, I would happily go through the same scenarios, the same situations that I have been put through, I would happily go through it again because it's helped shape me to be who I am now. And yes, the next the, the next scenario or situation will change 
and or it will change me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we went back. Um, I I am a different person every single time something happens, and that's because I try I try so hard. It's hard. <laughs> it's a lot of like um, mental gymnastics to like think about. Well, how can I make this not be as bad the next time something similar happens? Um, it requires a lot of self reflection because you've got to. You've got to understand that ultimately, as an entrepreneur, the the buck stops with you, right? Like right. anything that happens in the business that you are building, it it's ultimately all on you, whether you have a team or not. Yeah. It's, it's for just, all on you. I just want to say something to that that I think um, we haven't addressed yet. The name of this podcast is We Are Not Safe for Work. Oh, yeah, we haven't talked about that, have we? (laughs) But it just makes me realize, do you think for most true entrepreneurs, there comes a point when they are no longer safe for work? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I I would be a terrible employee now because, I mean, like, let's be honest. I would be the bad apple in the bunch. Yeah. Because if anything, like, I – as an employee, I was an excellent employee. And do you know why? Why? Because I was a people pleaser. Oh. I bent over backwards to make things easier for everybody else, even if it meant it was going to be much more difficult for me. And it wasn't from an altruistic place. It was because I thought that's how you're supposed to be oh. in a corporate environment. I thought you were just supposed to – do to make everybody else's jobs easier, right? So that's what I did. Did I complain about it all the fucking time? Like, <laughs> I like, love that you were doing this thing, but you were complaining all the time. Yeah, totally. I was complaining the whole time. My poor husband had to hear about like how my shitty coworker did this, this, and this, and then I ended up having to do this work. No, it wasn't. That wasn't the scenario. The situation was. They they asked for help and I just did it all instead of just helping or saying, no, I don't have the capacity. No was so hard for me to say for the longest time. And no is a complete sentence. No. You don't need yeah. to justify or explain. It's just no. Right. And if it wasn't for me diving into the entrepreneur rep, realm, I don't think I would have been, I don't think I would have gotten to the point as quickly where I could start saying no without wanting to throw up. (laughs) You know what would be beautiful now? Now that you're good at saying no, right? Do you feel like you're good at saying no? That's what you're saying. I am good at saying no. (laughs) Now, if you went back to a corporate job, imagine how fantastical it would be because you would show up you do an excellent job at your job because you're supposed to and you understand mm-hmm. how important that is. But then anytime extra things were asked, you'd be so good at saying no and leaving at six o'clock that yeah. you'd, it would be so glorious. And But would know. it be accepted? I don't think oh, so. Oh, no, no. I think you would be fine. I would not. 
I would not be seen as a team player. That's right. Like, it's oh, you're not a team player. You don't help. Yeah. You don't do this. You always say no. You don't want to take on extra work. That's why I am no longer safe for work. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. I don't think I was ever safe for work. <laughs> a very good employee. I mean, looking back, honestly, and, and I, well, I was in some ways, I was fantastic, which is why I was always like, um, after 9-11, I had a series of jobs where I got laid off and I was always the very last person laid off mm. of all layoffs because I would just go in and try desperately hard to improve every single process. If there was something broken about a situation, yep. I couldn't stand it. And I would just dive in, even if it wasn't my own department. And work on solving it. So I made managers look so good that they didn't want to get rid of me. Yeah. No, I was really good at making managers look good too. <laughs> but everybody else just couldn't stand me. Yeah. Um, because I was so... Did they, did they think you were a brown noser too? I think so. But also they yeah. thought I was so procedural. You know, I would be like, no, no, right. let's get back to work. Let's do this thing. Because mm -hmm. I've always had that mentality of let's get back to work. Let's do this yeah. thing. Let's get this stuff done. Let's do this. Right. Let's make it better. Oh, my God. I see what you're going through. How can we fix that? You yeah. know? And so people hated me because they just wanted to chit chat all day. And I right. was like, no, no, let's do this thing. Well, see, and that was me. I, I was the chit chat person. I, I don't think you and I would have worked well together in corporate. You no, I'm serious. Yeah. Like this is there's a reason why we met when we did. Yeah, totally. And we get along so well now, you know, because of when we met. But if we if we work together in a corporate environment, I was the chit chatter. I wanted to have the social conversations. And if you were constantly telling me, no, let's get back to work. No, let's get back to doing this. I would be like, man, she's just, she's mean. Yeah. She doesn't want to, she doesn't want to learn anything about me. Like in my head as an employee, I would be thinking she's not a team player because she doesn't want to chat with the rest of the team. Well, and but see, I will say on the flip side, you give me a lunch hour I would chat with you. All. <laughs> I, mean, I I was so I had so um, the social stuff so organized that I had it in my last corporate job where we would all meet in the conference room every lunch hour, bring our lunch. We had crochet groups. I had so much oh. shit going on during the off time yeah. because I am so hyper social. But it's just that I saw the the processes and procedures mm -hmm. and how the things were running during the working parts. I just would get so zoned in on it. And right. care so much, but I'm such a social person that I needed those social breaks too. And then, ma so management didn't know what to do with me because yeah. of that. Because I yeah. had these hyper organized social times as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. I can't imagine anything but entrepreneurship at this point. Yeah, I can't either. Well, and I mean, choices. Right. I mean, I'll admit there. <laughs> there are many, many times where I, you know, especially after a hard day of managing expectations or dealing with clients, because, you know, when it rains, it pours, right? So usually mm -hmm. when one client has an issue, for some reason, all the other clients have issues too, and all of them are time sensitive. All of them need to be resolved right away. You know, like that's that's just how it goes, whether it is your clients or the, um, you know, if you work in an office when you're working with other people. That's just the way it is. But for me, it was um, – I mean, whenever I had those hard days, I would always have that thought of, you know, it would be just easier if I went and got a job again. Like it would, it would just be so much easier if I 
worked for a company or worked for someone else that just told me what I needed to do and when, and then I can clock in, clock out, and that was done. Like I don't oh, take anything home that with does me. Sounds so nice. It does sound nice in theory, but then you think sure. about the things that you like, the industries you would have to work in to have that type of like basically like as a server. You yes. don't take that work home, right? You just right. you clock in, you do your job, clock out, and you leave. Then you're gone. You're not waiting tables when you get home or whatever. Somebody, but nobody texts you, hey, I need some salt. It, yeah, exactly. Or I need more bread. Or yeah. this this soup isn't hot enough. I don't know. I don't know the things that yeah. right. <laughs> but you know, like the thought goes through my head and as quickly as it comes into my head, it flies out just as fast because in that split second of I should just go get a job, like that way I can just clock in and out. I then think about all the things that I would have to give up that I currently have to do that. Yeah. So that means I I would not be able to drop off and pick up my kids from school. Like right. I would not have the flexibility to do that. Um I wouldn't be able to take them to all of their activities. Like there's one activity where I actually have to pick up one of the girls from school um, 30 minutes early so that they oh. can make it to their activity. You know, I wouldn't be able to do that. We wouldn't yeah. be able to, we wouldn't be able to schedule, you know, like the, the spring break trip impromptu, right. just, oh, you know what? We're going to do this. We're going to go on a road trip. Right. Because I would have to get permission first from somebody else to make sure that it works with everybody else that I'm working with, mm -hmm. you know, and if it is a job where you clock in, do the work, clock out, and you don't take it home, that's not something you can be like, oh, well, I can, I can work while I'm on the road. Exactly. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. So like I said, as quickly as it comes into my head, it flies right back out, but I, I would be lying if I didn't admit that it happens a lot. <laughs> you think about it? I think about it a lot, yes. Now, have you ever had to cancel a trip because of being an entrepreneur? Because I have. I'm trying to think if I have. I've had to I cancel plans think of situation. because I needed to solve a problem. Oh, okay, yeah, canceling plans, sure, yeah. yeah that's yeah. what I mean. So, like, canceling something because you needed to solve a problem. Yeah. So it, with the extreme freedom also becomes extreme responsibility. Mm -hmm. When I think about it, I don't really think about getting a job per se. I mean, there are times when Andy and I are like, well, the revenue is so low that what would we do if it never comes back? Right. So those are yeah. the kind of things I have. Uh, Cause I'm usually like, well, I guess I'd start over. With another yeah. one because no one's going to hire me. Right. So I have no choice but to start another business because this business failed. That's kind of where I'm at now is I don't yeah. see any choices beyond starting another model of a different business, you know? Mm -hmm. um, if I thought that someone would hire me at this stage, that'd be awesome. I'd be like, oh, thank God. For about a day until I wanted yeah. to sleep in, you know? Right. But... Yeah, I don't even – I definitely think I'm unemployable at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I think we should end this here. 
Sure. Yeah, I think this is a great spot to end this conversation. Um, I don't think it's like on a Debbie Downer. It's more of a, now we've explained why the podcast is called We Are Not Safe for Work. (laughs) So maybe, maybe you see yourself in our stories and conversations. You experience the same thing. You have heard the same stories from other people and you're okay with it. You know, like maybe it'll help make you feel less alone because like we had touched upon earlier, entrepreneurship can be very lonely. And so Absolutely. just just hearing other people go through or hearing the stories uh, that other people go through and being able to relate to it, maybe it'll help make you feel less alone. And I mean, really, that's the goal, right? Like we want everyone to to feel included and that they're not going through this on their own. <laughs> No, absolutely not. And I think I think that's a good point because I know that there have been plenty of dark days in the last decade that podcast or the thing that I listened to so that I didn't feel alone and I knew that other people were having struggles because some of my all-time favorite episodes have been when someone was like, you know what, I really struggled or I'm struggling right now, but mm-hmm. I didn't stop. Right, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. there you go. Awesome. Awesome. Well, go enjoy your child. Sure. <laughs> she's outside, right, with the dog? She's she's outside with the dog, yeah. Actually, my, my mom just showed up, so oh. she's outside with the dog and my mother in the backyard. They're probably – or not they. My mother would not be climbing a tree, but my daughter would be. <laughs> Your daughter's probably climbing a tree. Your mom's watching your daughter climb a tree. Yep, exactly. And yeah. What's your dog doing? Probably. She's probably laying in the middle of the yard because that's what she does, and she yeah. watches them. Oh, there you go. <laughs> She's like um, Nana from Peter Pan. She gets really upset if she sees them doing something that either seems dangerous or that she if she can't see them and she knows that they're outside, um, she'll start barking. So she's definitely the the Nana dog. <laughs> well, I'm going to, um, I ordered, I scheduled my smoothie to be delivered between 1 and 1.30. Oh. I'm going to go have my smoothie. Go have your smoothie. And then I have to go into a management meeting to address the thing that happened right before the tornado. There you go. Yeah. So. See? And I now do. you've had some time to reflect about it. So. Right. Yeah, very helpful. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, awesome. Thank you for listening. You, Renee, and anybody else who's listening. (laughs) That's right. Whoever has some headphones on right now listening to this, thank you. Yes. Thank you. We appreciate it. And we're very open to ideas as well. Yes. Please tell us us what you want to hear about. We are open books. We are happy to talk about all the things. We're professional ramblers. It's true. See, like, this is the longest goodbye. (laughs) All right, and then end scene.